So today I have a, uh, a little confession to make, and that is sometimes I say things that I just shouldn't say. You know, sometimes words come out of my mouth, and, and I'm just like, what? what am I doing? What am I saying? Why am I doing this? Anybody else have this happen to you? No, no, good, good. Nobody, then y'all can all go home now. You're good. You don't need the message for today. Uh, but if you ever say things you shouldn't, and if you ever think, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get my, my mouth under control? Uh, then today's message is for us as we continue on in the book of James today. Uh, this, this Tuesday, we were in a staff meeting, as we always are, and, and uh, we were having um, just a little time of prayer and, and decided that it would be a good time for us to just pray over Tuesday. Of course, it was Election Day. We knew that this was um, you know, going to be a potentially volatile time for our country. And so we, we're just kind of praying uh, over, really more than anything, our um, reaction and response to whatever uh, took place and whatever happened. And one of the things, and this wasn't really pre-planned, but one of the things that kind of came out of my mouth as I was praying was this phrase, Lord, help Christians act like Christians. You know, help Christians act like Christians. And I think we, of all times, need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that as believers, we're supposed to act like believers. And that's especially important to remember when we're going through Volatile times when we're going through times where, and this is the other thing, is the reminder, uh, and I've said this before, there are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people on both sides of the political aisle. And so no matter what happens in a major, especially a highly contested election like this, no matter what happens, you're going to have some of God's children who are very disappointed and maybe even despondent at the results that they see. And at a time like that, even more than any other, it's important for Christians to act like Christians. And maybe to take it another step to where we are going today, let Christians speak like Christians. Let, let the words that come out of our mouths be reflective of what we say we believe. I think we need to be reminded of that message today, perhaps more than any other time. And today we're going to continue on in the book of James. Actually, before we do that, by the way, let me share with you a, just a fun little uh, something that uh, uh, came across our group chat in our connect group. There was this picture that was sent to us that I thought was uh, really appropriate there, me about to comment on someone's political post and then the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you can tell with that, with that bar across there, but doing this, uh, you know, shutting the mouth there, which sometimes don't we just need that, whether it is a political post or anything else, sometimes we just need that little don't go there, don't say that, let me, uh, let me shut your mouth on that one. But uh, James chapter 3 will be our main text for today, but before we get into chapter 3, we left off kind of the middle of chapter 2 last time, and, and uh, just a few weeks ago, in one of my messages, I kind of dove into this passage in James 2, 14, where it talks about faith and deeds, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I just want to quickly touch on this, because it... it, it transitions well into uh, what we're going to talk about here in chapter 3. But in, in starting in verse 14, it begins to talk about the importance of our faith and our actions lining up with one another. And the point that he's making here is, and he, he, and he makes it in this little section, he talks about how faith without works or faith without deeds is dead. It's dead. Here's the point, is that a faith 
that doesn't translate into a changed life, the way we live, for that matter, the way we talk, is something less than genuine faith. Because real faith means that we've come to a point of surrender. It means that we've come to a point of acknowledging Christ as Lord of our lives. We've said, I'm surrendering my life to the control of Jesus. I want Him to you know, have control of everything in my life. That's what genuine faith is. And, and wouldn't you agree that if our lives aren't impacted at all by what we would call our faith, then that is something less than a genuine faith. And a genuine faith is not a saving faith. That's why he says, can such a faith save him? It's not because he's emphasizing that you have to have faith plus deeds in order to be saved. The point that he's making is that if you have something you call faith, but it's not changing you in any way at all, that's not real faith. And real faith doesn't save you. I mean, if it's not genuine faith, it doesn't save you. It takes a genuine faith in order for us to, to really... Um, have a, a true salvation type experience. So that, that's really what he's getting at in um, the second part of chapter 2. But then you get into chapter 3 and it continues on this discussion of, okay, what are some ways that you can tell that you have real faith? And one of the ways that you can tell that your heart has been changed is by examining the words that come out of our mouths. And so that's where we're going to pick it up today. James 3, starting in verse 1, says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by such strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I'm going to stop there. We'll come back and, and look at some of this a, a little bit later. Uh, but let me just stop there. In, in this beginning of this section, the first couple of verses, he gives a sobering reminder to us that he says, not many of you should, should become teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, he's reminding um, the believers here that, that as you take on more spiritual responsibility, as you get into a role of teaching, and, and, and that could take on a lot of different forms, and maybe think of spiritual leadership in some form, as you move into those roles, especially when you're teaching others about God and who He is, the level of accountability and responsibility before God goes up. And so he says, don't just take this, don't, don't just jump into this, you know, without considering um, the, the seriousness of what you're doing. Now, I'm thankful for verse 2, because if it just stopped at verse 1, I'm thinking, there might not be anybody that would want to take on that responsibility, but verse 2 does come right after that and it says we all stumble in many ways. Okay, so even those that are teachers and are leaders are still going to stumble. Anyone who's never perfect in what they say, at fault in what they say is perfect. Um, so everybody's going to mess up. Thankfully, God's grace covers that, but, but it doesn't 
change the fact that we still are held to a higher level of responsibility, a higher standard. Uh, those of us that are teachers, are leaders in some way. And so a good reminder there. But then in verse 2, did you notice that, that when it says, that when he's talking about those that are not at fault, uh, what it says specifically is anyone who is never at fault in what they say, not in what they do. If anyone is ever not at fault in what they say. And he's making this point here that what we say is, is such a vital part of how we live out our faith. In fact, I would argue that, that what we say really is the best indicator of where our hearts are. And we'll get to that more as we uh, follow along in this, in this passage here. Uh, but the point also that he's making here is this, that you know, if we can get our tongues under control, then we're much more likely to get the rest of us under God's control as well. But if our tongues are not under God's control, then the rest of us is, is likely to go that same direction. It's likely to just kind of be completely out of control. And so getting our tongues under God's control is such a big deal. And then in verse 3 and 4 and 5, he, he gives some examples here. One of them is a bit that is put into the mouth of a horse. Now, I, I'm not a, a huge horse person, but I, you know, just curious did a little bit of looking online and discovered that a typical bit that goes into the mouth of a horse is about five inches long and weighs an average of about two pounds or so. Some horses will grow to weigh as much as 2,000 pounds. So you've got a two-pound device that is able to control a 2,000-pound animal. Isn't that something? And in the same way, he says the tongue. I mean, think about it. The tongue is just a small part of the body. And yet, just like that tiny little bit controls the horse, this tiny little tongue controls so much about who we are and, and the direction that we go. The second example that he gives is a rudder on a ship. Compared to the rest of the ship, the rudder is a very small part of the ship, but it controls the direction that it goes. And so here's the point, the first main idea that I want us to, to see today, and that is that the tongue holds great power. The tongue holds great power. Very small part of the body, but yet it, it dictates the direction that we go. And it says here that, that it's like a spark that starts a forest fire. The tongue is this, that little spark that can start a fire, that can just you know, burn out of control. Well, we know about that in the U.S. This year, I'm sure that, that we've all been uh, hearing a lot about forest fires this year, especially in California and things like that, wildfires. Um, set a record in 2020, 4.2 million acres have burned in the state of California alone. There have been 31 people who have died, 10,488 structures that have either been damaged or destroyed by the wildfires. Now that is out of control. And every single one of those fires started somewhere, right? Some of them started even with just a small spark of some sort and it ignites into the flame that just begins to spread and the next thing you know it's out of control. Isn't that just a, a poignant picture of what happens when when we don't have our tongues under God's control. When we speak things that, that start fires, next thing you know, that fire is spread here. And, and you know how a lot of these wildfires starts. One starts here and then 
you know, it jumps across over here and it starts another one, and it starts another one, and it starts another one, and it just kind of continues to spread, but it all started somewhere. And it may have been uh, that it started with something as simple as a tiny little spark or a campfire that, you know, somebody didn't completely put out or whatever it may be, and it ignites into this blaze. The thing I want to remind you of is the fact that the destructive nature of a wildfire has no connection whatsoever to whether or not the person intended to start it. Just because somebody didn't mean to not put their campfire out completely or you know, throw something down on the ground that ignites it, just because they didn't intend to do it. Now sometimes you hear stories of people intentionally doing this. A lot of times it's completely unintentional, but that doesn't change the fact that Things get burned up, right? Whether it's intentional or not. This goes back to what we said here a couple of weeks ago. We were, we were in James chapter 1 and, and where it tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And, and we're talking about, you know, the, one of the values of being slow to anger is that it helps us to control our tongues. And this ties into what we're talking about today. But I made the point that once you say something, once something is out there, it's out there. What's been said has been said. You can't unsay what's been said. And so... We may wish we hadn't. You may be like me where sometimes you say something like, why did I say that? I wish I could take it back. I, but you can't. And so that's why it's so important to be careful and to, to allow our tongues ultimately to, to get under God's control is really the point of this whole passage because it is incredibly destructive when that doesn't happen. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, you know the destructive nature of the tongue. You have perhaps been on the receiving end of that, and you know how hurtful and how destructive it can be. Maybe, I think both of us have probably been on the receiving end and on the giving end of that too, where we've said things and we've seen how that has been hurtful, the damage that that has done to other people. Uh, you know, our, our, I think sometimes we try to downplay the, um, the importance of what we say. Remember the little phrase we used to use as kids when somebody said something mean to us? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? So not true. So not true. In fact, damage inflicted by words is sometimes much more hurtful even than physical pain. And often slower to heal. I mean, you could have someone literally cut you with a knife and you may heal more quickly than you would heal from cutting that comes from words that have been spoken carelessly. Our words are powerful. And James 3 reminds us uh, just what a big deal they are and, and, and the impact that they can have on our lives. In fact, as we read on, it says in verse 6, that the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now that's, that's not holy punches, is it? It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. So this one tongue can corrupt the entire person. If we can't get our tongues under God's control, then chances are the rest of us is going to go down a very destructive path as well. I, I want to challenge you to think about something. I want you to think about... Two sides of this, because there is a flip side of this as well. The tongue can do great damage. And it's not recorded directly in this chapter in James, because it's not his point. But the rest of Scripture also speaks to the fact that the tongue can also do a lot of good. 
You know, we can bless other people. We are told to encourage one another, to lift up one another throughout Scripture. And so there's both sides to that. I want you to think about somebody that you know that is the kindest person that you can think of, just the most uplifting, encouraging person you can think of, okay? Just whoever first comes to mind. And I want you to think about the meanest person that you know. Now, let's start with the meanest one first. Um, it, by the way, if you're sitting next to the kindest person you know, you can go ahead and tell them, I'm thinking about you right now. If you're thinking about the person you're sitting next to on the meanest one, probably don't mention that to them right now. That might not be the best idea. You could get up and move maybe to the other side of the room, but don't say anything to them. Think about that person. What is it about that person when you're thinking, this is somebody that's just flat out mean? I am completely confident that the reason you have that impression about that person is because of how that individual speaks, uses his or her words. I mean, yes, there may be other things and there may be other actions that come along with it, but you are never going to find someone who is cruel in their actions and the things that they do that does not also speak in a like manner. In fact, if, if we're understanding this passage correctly, I think part of what it's saying to us is, that the way we speak is actually what leads us down that path, not the other way around. That it's the tongue that lights this fire. It's the tongue that, that, that causes so much destruction. Now, the flip side of that, think about that, that person that you know that you would describe as kind and encouraging. Again, it has to do more than just with actions. It probably has to do with the words that that individual speaks. This is someone who says... Uh, positive things to you, that encourages you, that, that uplifts you, that tells you, you know, good things that they see. I mean, it can go either way, right? It can go either way. And by the way, it is such a simple thing, isn't it, to encourage one another, to use our, our words for good. That is such a simple thing. Why in the world, uh, most of us, myself included, why we don't do that more often, I'll never know. But the people that, that do use their tongues for good and for encouragement, it's amazing how um, impactful that is on others around them, right? And it's such a simple thing. I mean, you, you want to have an impact on people? You want people to want to be around you? To have a positive influence? Be an encourager. Just be somebody that, that, that says kind things. I promise you, people are going to be, they're going to gravitate toward that. But, um, but, but that's, what it says here is that, that we are to be that, that kind of uh, person that, that doesn't do the negative side of that is that it, it isn't uh, going down this path of destruction. But you get to the end of verse 6 and it says the whole course of one's, uh, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Think about that for a minute. Is itself set on fire by hell? It's talking about the tongue. The tongue that's out of control is set on fire by hell. The source of that, that fire is hell. It's Satan. It's, it's the devil. That's where it comes from. In fact, our tongues are, are Satan's gateway to have influence over us. He can kind of lead us down that path of speaking the wrong way, then... You know, we're headed the direction he wants us to go. I mean, think about all the, the different ways that, uh, that, that, that Satan is described when it comes to the tongue and the things that he speaks. He's described as, as being the accuser. 
He's described as being uh, a liar, the father of lies, the deceiver, all these things. I mean, you go back to um, this, you know, this, this form of the, the serpent in the, in the um, Garden of Eden and speaking these words of, you know, did God really say that and causing the question. I mean, so much of, of what he does is done through, through words. Temptation of Jesus. You know, all these different ways that we see the words that he speaks having such a significant impact. And so um, it's a big deal and, and, and it's something that we need to be very aware of. But, you know, we can use the tongue for good. But here's a sobering reminder as well, verse 7, when it says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Nobody can get this right at least not in our own ability and our own strength. And that's the point that it's making here. In fact, if anything, what, what this should do, it should cause us to realize our, our desperate need for a Savior. It should cause us to become more aware of our own sinfulness and to come to the conclusion that we need help. You know, I, I was thinking about this in terms of what happens when a drowning person is, is struggling to survive. Uh, when I was a teenager, one of the jobs that I had for a couple summers is that I worked as a lifeguard. And uh, that might sound like a really, you know, glorious job, lifeguard, and, you know, teenage boy, and you get to hang around. You might have these images of all these cute little teenage girls and their little swimsuits around all the time, and that's, you get paid to be around. Let me tell you about my job. That's not what I experienced as a lifeguard. I worked as a lifeguard in a fitness center, and there was an indoor pool. Hardly anybody ever came. And if somebody did come swim in a pool, it wasn't a cute little teenage girl. It was a shriveled up old man who was there to take his exercise. So that was my experience as a lifeguard. However, I still had to go through the same training process. And in order to be certified to be a lifeguard, they take you through training and they teach you how to deal with a variety of things. And obviously one of those is how do you deal with a distressed person, a person who is drowning? What do you do? And one of the first things they teach you is the use of flotation devices. And the reason for that is because if you attempt to approach someone, especially where they can see you in an attempt to rescue them, if they're truly in panic mode, they will grab onto you and a lot of times they'll end up taking the potential rescuer down with themselves and both of them end up drowning. It's not that they're doing it on purpose. It's just that you go into panic mode and when you try to save yourself, bad things happen. And so that's why they, they encourage the use of a flotation device, something that they can latch onto that can actually hold them up. So no longer are they trying to do it in their own effort but they're taking advantage of this device. Or if that's not available, then they train you to approach them from behind and try to get, get a hold of them kind of like this, you know, from behind and pull them back up out of the water. And a lot of times when they get pulled up out of the water, they'll kind of relax a little bit enough that you can pull them to safety. But, but I just, I think about that often. I think what a picture of what happens when we don't come to grips with the fact that we can't do this on our own. As long as we're struggling and fighting and trying to save ourselves spiritually, we're just going to drown. We're going to take other people down with us. It's not going to be pretty. But if we realize that I can't get there on my own, then we're in a much better position. We're ready uh, to receive what, what Christ wants to give. Now, here's where this analogy breaks down because a person that's drowning knows it. You know, I mean, there, there aren't any questions about, hey, I think I'm okay. You know, I mean, they're desperate. 
Um, a lot of times we are drowning spiritually and we don't even realize it. We're not aware of it. But one of, the, one of the ways that we should become more aware of this is through the fact that, that we ought to be able to look at what our tongues say. And, and here's the bottom line. If we can't even control the words that we speak, doesn't that say something about our ability you know, to, to, to make our own path or to get right with God on our own? We can't even control our tongue. And so what it should do is cause us to realize our need for Christ and recognize our need for a Savior. And, um, and then you continue on and see just what a big deal it is that, that we use the tongue properly. Let me continue reading in verse 9 where it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Man, this is convicting stuff right here, especially the verse, you know, that, that praise and cursing come out of the same mouth. Those of us who do know God and have been transformed, but, but, but there's still junk inside of us. It, because it's, you know, we're a work in, in progress. It's not that you come to Christ and all of a sudden everything is cleaned up and you're good and you never sin again. I mean, that's not how it works, right? And so we're still a work in progress. But one of the ways that it indicates our need to continue to lean into God and to lean on God is when we see the fact that we're praising God with our mouth and with that same mouth we are, what it says, cursing those who are created in His image, people that God has made. That word to curse is the same word that Jesus is uh, recorded that, that Jesus used in Matthew and also Luke, in Matthew 5.44 and Luke 6.28, when Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And again, uh, the Apostle Paul uses that same word in Romans 12.14 when he basically repeats the same thing, bless those who curse you. To bless someone is to speak words of life to them, to encourage, to lift up, right? To curse is to tear down. So don't think of this just in terms of, you know, like calling a curse down on them or, you know, that kind of thing, but, but in terms of just tearing down. The opposite of that is to bless those who, who do that to us. And so Jesus is saying to us, or this passage is saying to us that it just doesn't make sense to praise God, but then to tear down those that God loves. Let's say here in a few minutes uh, when the service ends and, and uh, we're on our way out, you come up to me and, and you say, Pastor, great message today. I need to hear that. Thank you. I have such great respect for you. Just a man of God. I'm so thankful for you. Um, but let me tell you something about your two daughters. They are two of the ugliest human beings I have ever seen in my life, and they're so dumb that it makes me question whether we really did evolve from monkeys. Now, let me tell you something. You have just said very kind things to me, but based on the way you talked about my children, you better duck if you don't want to get a right hook. Right? right? Are you with me? It's like, you don't, you don't talk about my kids like that. But we do that about God's children, don't we? Here, here's the thing. If you were going to say something like that about my daughters, my girls are great, so I don't think anybody would ever say that. But if you did, you're not going to do it in front of me. You're not going to do it where I can hear you. But we say those things, and you think God hears it? 
He hears everything we say. Thankfully, he doesn't give us the right hook that we deserve. But we need to be reminded. Don't we, you don't talk about my kids like that. Why would we talk about God's creation that way? It's a big deal. It's a big deal to God that we do that. And so we need to keep, just, just remind ourselves uh, of the importance of how we speak. And then the last thing I want to point out to you quickly that, that we just read here is the fact that the tongue reveals what is in our hearts. And that's really what it's saying here when it says, you know, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Uh, grapevine, bear figs, you know, can a fig tree bear olives? It's saying, look, you can tell what is in your heart by what comes out. Luke 6, verse 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, the, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hold on to that little phrase. Maybe put that one up on the mirror. Commit that to memory. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's one thing we need to take away with us today. It's that. It's a reflection of what's in our heart. What comes out here is a reflection of what's in here. And so when you stop and do inventory and, and begin to evaluate, which I would strongly encourage all of us to do, kind of do a bit of a word audit you know, watch yourself, just, just through the course of a day, watch yourself and see how many times words come out of your mouth that shouldn't, that are tearing down more than they're building up. If you're like me, you're probably going to realize, man, I've still got work to do here. But when that happens, what that should do is it should cause us to realize, I, I need God to do a work in my life. Now, for some, that work may be to come to a point of, of being made new in Christ for the very first time. And maybe for some of you, that's the decision that you need to make today is come to an understanding that, you know, my words reveal the fact that my heart's not right. If we ever question where our heart is, just look at the things that we say. And it should cause us to come to, a, to an understanding that I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I can't get there on my own, but Jesus died in my place to pay the price for my sins. And so by trusting him, I can be made new. Once we make that decision, however, it doesn't mean that everything is just automatically good. And so we have an opportunity to continue to focus and to grow. And so rather than being discouraged, here's something I want to leave you with. Uh, let me encourage you to look for progress rather than perfection. When it comes to evaluating your words and the things that you look for progress rather than perfection. Because I don't know anybody that's ever going to get it exactly right, but what we ought to be able to do is to say, I can see where God is doing a work in my life. And the, the things that I'm saying and the words that I use are not the same as they used to be a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. I see that God is doing a work there. And I believe that God wants to do that work in every one of our lives today. God wants to change our hearts so that he can then change everything else about us. And, and remember, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Let's make sure that what's in our heart gives root to things coming out as they should. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray today that you will um, just show us what's in our hearts that needs to be changed through the things that we say.
Lord, where work needs to be done, I thank you that you are a God who's ready to do that work. That we don't have to do it all on our own. So thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray today that you will uh, convict us and, sh- and, and, and just move us to a point of faith and a point of really trusting in you fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.